Hello and welcome back to All My Darlings, where we are reading Marguerite Young's Angel in the Forest. And sorry for the delay, but I got busy. Um, <clears throat> I now have a little, I now have a side hustle like everyone else. I have a side hustle. Uh, uh, two of the, going to two of the flea markets whenever my friend needs me to help out. Not all the time. So that's why it's a side hustle. Um, we are finishing up. So I'm sorry, this is part two of the Declaration of Mental Independence. So we're going to finish up that chapter. Restlessness increased all that autumn. Difficulties multiplied as the leaves fell. Unfortunately, it was found that there were no facilities for heating the Great Hall, and thus no possibility of community meetings, and no possibility of playing on that great harp, community spirit, of which every string was out of tune with every other anyhow. William Taylor, card sharper and forger, I don't know why it's card sharper, like card shark, but maybe card sharper. So I don't know. Um, saw the opportunity he had been waiting for in a land of opportunity to pick clean the dead body of the society to be himself a whole congregation of crows. There had been no one apparently more imbued with the Owenite principles than he, and no more, and no one more alert to cooperate with every plan for organization and reorganization. As New Harmony seemed ready to split wide open, he offered to buy from Robert, Robert Owen hard-pressed for funds, 1,500 acres of land, with all thereon, presumably rough furs, the withered stalks of Indian corn, a few leafless trees. The contract having been signed in the presence of witnesses, Taylor caused, during the night before it was to go into effect, the transportation to his land of movable properties located on other parts of the New Harmony estates. When morning came, though, he was the surprised owner of all thereon, not only trees, but mules tethered under trees, cows, sheep, goats, cattle, shelters, chicken coops, looms, plows, axes, spades. Most alarming of all thereon, though, there was the Rapite Whiskey Distillery, which had stood like a Roman ruin among the hills. Never was there a scene so ambiguous, in fact, exemplifying capitalism, as well as the happiness which is the instinct of the universe, and all on a cold, wet, windy morning. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? My friend and I were talking today about about how corruption is normalized. Um and just scammers and just these things in general and good to know that it's always existed. Taylor's first step was to repair the rabbi's distillery. Within a few days, perhaps three, he had opened a saloon and a cow shelter, a rival utopia, not a stone's throw from New Harmony, just across the old hop meadow, which served ineffectually as either a geographical or a moral barrier between international and irrational orders. Money being obsolete, Taylor announced that, as in the New Harmony store, he would accept labor instead of cash, hours to be exchanged for half-pints, minutes for sniffs. Soon, irrationalism flourished where there had been rationalism and, and wags where there had been philosophers. It was possible now to manufacture whiskey openly, and the more drunk, the happier. Never was there a more innocent-appearing gentleman than William Taylor, the devil's own partner, moon-faced, beardless, unwrinkled, childish, with a missing front tooth, dimples, and almost a benign look in his eyes, which could see farther than a buzzard's, unsuspected diamonds, metaphysical speech, and most important of all, a cloudy system of bookkeeping, by which it seemed that everybody owed him for forgotten half-pints imbibed long ago, back behind the gooseberry bush, a little distance from the footprints of an angel. What was most embarrassing to the laws of reason, William Taylor continued to wear striped burlap, the community costume, insisting at every turn of the corner that he still cooperated with Robert Owen, yea, to his utmost, for he too wished to see the old world dissolve go out like a light. 
The chaos of Hesiod, William Taylor swore to have existed everywhere, especially in his own head, which was confused and beset by dreams as Robert Owens was. Whatever new harmony there was, it was only what he had imagined. He felt there to be no resemblance between objects, our ideas, and sensations. A horse, far from being simple, was in truth complicated to most profound machinery, a horse being not only a thing, but an idea of it, and therefore evasive to reason. Since the horse may change when the idea of it does not, and vice versa, the same was ever true of mankind, nay worse, human nay worse mankind being a thing which had no properties whatever since it might be both tall and short fat and lean light and dark male and female what man needed most was a sense of space and the irrational a sense of his emptiness the realization that his willpower was formed in consequence of ideas manufactured solely in his brain and that such ideas were the direct result of erroneous reports of erroneous sensations the realization that he would be forever like the fox chasing its own tail which tale he may believe to be paradise. To it, from William Taylor's point of view, a thousand qualities of a thing cannot communicate the intimate nature of a thing, which may possess a hundred thousand other qualities, passing beyond the domain of our sight or our reason. Accordingly, a chunk of coal may be more beautiful by far than diamonds, and an oyster worthier than pearls. William Taylor was unacquainted, in fact, with the inward recesses, inward recesses of any being whatever other than himself, who was also a wide sea, and many undiscovered shores, many undiscovered pockets. To a being so constituted, how could there be a science of society? Having immersed himself with thales in water, having burned with Empedocles in fire, having listened to the music of the spheres with Pythagoras and Eton of Anaximenes's air, William Taylor's conclusion was that life is merely life, for which no formula can be made. He knew not whether the eyes were made to see with, the ears to hear with. He knew not whether the first chicken preceded the first egg, or vice versa. He knew not, and he cared not. It was no business of his to go poking into mysteries and raising the dust in old chimney corners. Could one man's view of reality be truer than another's? Indeed, as the laws of nature, William Taylor had often questioned their existence since these were relative to the beholder, changing whenever a man's mind changed, so that what went up would never come down, if Elijah thought so, though Newton might argue his head off. This community had been in its own sad way, and Elijah, supposedly, had taken off into the blue. The greater the rationalist, the greater the irrationalist. Eat, drink, and be merry, William Taylor said, for tomorrow you may die. Better to feast than be the feast of worms." William Taylor, in view of his belief in the relativism and subjectivism of happiness and his distrust of any value but pleasure, proposed that the Owenites gather around him should hold a funeral for the science of society, all merry drunks to be the mourners. The drunks, under his direction, got busy with hammer and nails to build a coffin for the idea of all mankind, a featureless body. They worked as never before in the whole history of Utopia. What they planned was an Irish wake with plenty of maudlin happiness. The body of mankind, though featureless, was to wear white cotton hair and striped burlap trousers. William Taylor's. The coffin was, be, to, was to be equipped... <laughs> you too. Don't. The coffin was to be equipped with the a, aforesaid body of mankind, an Indian cigar, a copy of the statistics as to mortality in the British Islands and immortality in America, a bundle of wild oats, and a cube of populace showing the ghostly top blown off. There were to be many ceremonies, such as befitted the entombment of so important a corpse, the science of society. The pallbearers, wearing lopsided wreaths and followed by a brigade carrying shovels, were to parade through the streets of New Harmony, 
the corpse to be set upright in its coffin under a high silk hat visible to everybody. The funeral sermon composed by a great wag was to be a sentence from the words of Robert Owen, Civilization, how the term has been misapplied. The body of mankind, while Mary Magdalene in a resurrected rapite bonnet beat on her breasts, was to be lowered into a grave in the midst of the hop field and was to be marked by a stone, small stone to show that here lies the sage of the ages dead at the age of two. What happiness! As a reward for their labors, the mourners would then adjourn to further mourning, which provided, each provided with a half-pint into which to shed his tears. Alas, for the best of plans! Before the proposed funeral of the science of society could take place, a drunk broke into the rapite fortress, where the coffin had been concealed, and stole it. Whatever became of the drunk or the coffin, neither was seen again. Enthusiasm even for the funeral of the science of society waned. The drunk had not the energy to build another coffin, William Taylor had not the generosity. They had had at least the fun of making plans, William Taylor said, if not realized in this lifetime, then in another. The funeral for the science of society was thus most whimsically delayed, though William Taylor, Paul Brown reported, had at least swept away the last cobweb of fairy dreams of a common stock and community. Hard autumn, hard winter. That winter the Wabash was like a road of iron, the wagon wheels emitting sparks as teamsters with their loads passed from one shore to another. Most people sat at home, hugging cold stoves, as Descartes did when he arrived at the conclusion that there was nothing in the world but himself and God. Every man was in a state of coma, imagining nothing but himself. Every man was like a mariner who sees the pole star continually changing its place, yet always where he is. There was no way to escape self. There was not even a revelation. To take a bath, it was necessary to break the ice in a wooden tub. Most people were cold, dirty, and miserable. It seemed that the greatest happiness would be for a man to dip his hands in the feeling of spring. Most people saw their senses gradually departing from them one by one. It was so long a winter that migrant bluebirds arriving in April were glassily frozen in whirling snowstorms. When spring came, finally, the very idea of new harmony seemed to disappear, like the ice melting from ice-shrouded cherry and persimmon trees. The state of Turkler was over. A large group departed to form a community near Cincinnati. Now the public eating house was closed, and no one so much as thought of opening it again. Each must fend for himself. The failure of a united human family was acknowledged casually as something less important than a barrel of flour. It was hardly discussed at all. Until the winds could be trained always to blow from one direction, further talk seemed useless if not extravagant. The communal property was resolved to real estate into real estate lots. Signboards appeared almost overnight as if by magic. There was a spurt of nervous activity like the tail of a comet. Having granted that human happiness was an ever-receding goal, the manufacture more and more of less and less. Now, how many citizens seemed to have come to their senses and were at least reasonably happy? At one of the rapite houses, a wax figure and puppet show was set up, and all went forward merrily, as in the old mistaken order. None so merry as William Taylor, pointing to man as the puppet, who, having abandoned his eternal sense, had danced to Robert Owen's strings. Only a lean dog whined, as if he had lost the bones of, bone of utopia. He kept smelling around on the ground, looking for it. Oddly enough, there were now a number of people who said that they intended to stay in New Harmony after all. It was not so bad. One place was as good as another. New Harmony no worse than Pittsburgh or Cincinnati. Just as much chance of a, for a future here as elsewhere. Same troubles always cropping up. One man like another. Hello, my little baby. Hello, my baby. Sweet, sweet. He um, what? What can I do for you? Just as much chance for future here as elsewhere. Some same. Da, 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 da. 
Death like a thief in the night might as well make the best of a bad bargain. Might as well not cry over spilled milk. Might as well put their shoulders to the wheels. Still a free country. Perhaps the new Harmony experiment had been a premature one, the Gazette admitted, like an Oreo lost in a snowstorm. Yet the editors could not but chastise those who liked to think that no square palaces had been built, and who pointed to the German architecture as if the merits of systems could be decided on a merely superficial demonstration. Perhaps they had chopped down no trees, but they had been at least pioneers in an idea to overwhelm the future world, the science of human nature and society. It was possible, the Gazette admitted, that Robert Owen had ascribed too little importance to the early antisocial circumstance which had been the individual experience in a world of dog-eat-dog. Perhaps he had minimized the tenacity of habit, custom, memory, and had overlooked the profound fact that man often feels in his heart a doubt which prevents him from accepting what has been proven to him. Perhaps man is, by his nature, not only a two-legged but also a two-headed biped, the one head humiliated by meanness, the other dazzled by imaginary greatness, even a city of glass. Then, too, the size of the communities had made their management difficult and cumbersome. The circle was so large, so inconclusive, periphery lost in space beyond perception of the brightest eye. The circle having been too large for present habits and experience, smaller circles had been described within it as by Plato's divine geometer. Hence had come about in their green fields, Macloria, Faiba Pavelli, and farther scattered communities throughout the United States. New Harmony, strictly speaking, could no longer be considered a community, but a central village after the old order, the one place where the true social state was not, though it was hoped that many would remember this lost Atlantis, this golden fleece. Not now in New Harmony, but on the lands outside at Faiba Pavelli and Macloria, could be found the science of society in operation. True, too true, the original founders of Macloria had already scattered, and their barn stood empty. Their place was to be taken, however, by a party of German religionists, a scriptural community, who would arrive in time for the planting of corn. Little was known of these people other than that they were of an order similar to the Rapite and given up entirely to self-effacement. True, too true, Faiba Pavelli was already a field usurped by jimson weed and orange trumpet flowers. What had been its exact location could be calculated by a fence and a clump of beech trees, though should these fail in time, there would always be a name indicative of latitude and longitude, and there would always be a name, Faiba Pavelli. All right, so I'm thinking my dog needs to go out. Yes, she's looking at me expectantly. Why? Why? So I gotta go. I did find a very interesting article that I bookmarked too, uh, while I, because it explained some of the philosophy of one of the, um, so I think some of the, so in Miss Macintosh, my darling, there is a lot of philosophy and one of them is part of Plato's, uh, dinner symposium. Um, and so somebody had wrote, written an article going on about the position of one of the philosophers in that symposium. It's a fictional meeting of, uh, to talk about love. And some of it applied to Miss McIntosh, my darling, gave a little more detail that helped me understand that concept better. So I bookmarked it and hopefully I'll be... So yeah, I'm still coming across stuff that helps me with Miss McIntosh, my darling. So it's pretty cool. All right. Um, that's it. Thanks for listening. Bye.